Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Windrow, and I just want to say a big, huge, heartfelt thank you for tuning in and listening and being part of this community. I have gotten some really nice messages from people who listen in, and that just means the world to me because uh, this is a passion project. I do this for no other reason other than I want to have these conversations with people that I find really inspiring and interesting. So before we get into this week's episode, um, I just would like to mention that it's not too late to join the Atman Yoga School. We have an online two-day weekend teacher training coming up that starts on Saturday, so March 20th and 21st. And this is a practical skills teacher training. So we're covering four major skills of teaching vinyasa, active cueing, themes, sequencing, and how to plan a class in the style of the Atman Yoga School. So if you'd like to join us, please send me an email at hello at atmanyogaschool.com. All right, and here we go. You may recognize this week's guest uh, from Instagram. She's female wellness. She is somebody who I really admire and who has really helped me personally. So I'm excited to share this episode with Mona Elsness. Here we go. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica, and today I'm super excited. I have a woman on today's podcast who I think is doing what I consider to be revolutionary work within the space of women's health, and um, Mona Elsnes is a osteopath and feminine health specialist and pelvic, um, pelvic, what would you say? Pelvic specialist? I don't know. Um, so welcome, Mona. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you, Jessica. And just being here, I mean, the name of this podcast is just beautiful, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you. I'll have to say, I am not titled a specialist. Because uh, this is like um, within my field, you need to have like a master's degree or something like that to be a specialist. Uh, So I would never call myself that. And uh, it's still a whole learning process, isn't it? Yeah. About this women's health topic and area. Can you maybe then um, describe more accurately than I do, uh, <laughs> what the work that you're doing and what you're up to besides yoga and, and all that, your, your other interests, but your, your day job, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I work in a clinic in Oslo and I'm an osteopath and I'm a physiotherapist and the, mostly I see women, but of all ages, uh, and you know, it's like all the changes we have in the cycle and our lifespan that affects women in a different way than men. And this is what fascinates me. Um, so you still work with the body, but it's changing all the time. And uh, I also am a Kundalini yoga teacher and a mom of three. Yay. Yay. That's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I don't do everything at the same time. So yeah. it's okay. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's great. I mean, it's just like, a, a. I think that adds a lot of weight to, to and we're going to talk about how you 
are interested in incorporating some of your Kundalini studies and breath work into your clinical setting and, and maybe some areas that might be coming up within that, that industry for you guys, like, okay, now seeing even more how all of these holistic types of, of alternative medicine or remedies or whatever you want to call it can help aid in the connection with the Western medicine or the Western approach to healing the body. And I think that's so important when we can have somebody who's kind of in the medical field, also expanding themselves as a practitioner because then you can really see the person or your client or your patient from a much broader perspective. Thank you. Well, we need that because we're all individuals and, you know, we like to be met in different places. So having the opportunity to look at the world and the body from different angles, I think is just expanding your opportunities to help each individual as well. Mm-hmm. I I 100% agree with that. And of course, that's what Ayurvedic medicine teaches as well, which is you have to look at the individual. You can't just take one set of, okay, if somebody has this illness, then you treat them this way. And it applies across the board to everybody. Like that's not, that's actually in many cases going to cause more of an imbalance or a disease if we try to apply the incorrect procedures to somebody um, who maybe doesn't respond that way. And so then having all of these extra tools in your toolbox is amazing. And I think that's why probably you have had so much success in your field, at at least from my perspective. Um, You know, I saw you during my pregnancy and after for a little bit, and I still would love to come see you again. I think that you are phenomenal at your job. I think you have a true gift and, um, you know, real a healer. And so I think that your other perspective that you're bringing to the table is what places you in this kind of elevated category beyond maybe some of your colleagues who are taking more of the strictly clinical approach to treating, treating a a patient or, or women's health. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm humbled by everything you say and, uh, you know, it's, it's a part of uh, knowing that you don't know really Mm. anything Uh, because when we look into this world like you speak about Ayurvedic medicine and I don't know anything about that but I would love to learn and this is what happens when you see a patient is they come in and they bring their individuality to the room the experiences the knowledge of different types of you know, um, like you said, like Ayurvedic, but also Chinese medicine, or it could be functional medicine. There are so many approaches, but in the in the picture that the client has, it's important to see what is important for the person and try to connect that to what we know already, but also learn from what we don't know. Mm. So this is so interesting. It's like a never-ending story. Absolutely. And I think too, I mean, I learned so much when I was seeing you, um, you know, of course I was, I was going for specific reasons in terms of my pelvic health as uh, my pregnancy advanced and trying to stay as, as safe and as involved in my pregnancy as possible and to help ease the delivery. And of course the recovery afterwards. And, you know, we had some really amazing conversations about the integration of kind of the Eastern approach 
um, which is more my background in terms of the Ayurvedic medicine. And then the more, I'll say like anatomical knowledge that of course you have a ton of, and I don't have so much of, I was floored by a lot of the things that you were able to, to talk to me about in terms of, um, you know, specifically for women during pregnancy and after, um, some of the common pelvic health issues that many, if not most women can experience from pregnancy. And also one thing that I found really interesting too, to circle back to your comment about um, how this can be uh, health for, for women of all ages, and of course, humans of all ages. But when you were talking about also seeing women who are um, postmenopausal or who are in more um, elderly years and are perhaps even still experiencing after effects of birth and labor and maybe working on, on their pelvic health. And you had said something to me that I found so inspiring and interesting. And you're like, it's never too late. Yeah. It's never too late to work on your pelvic health. And um, I like, I went home and I talked to my mom and I was like, mom, see, you've got it. And my mom, her, she was like, and my mom practices tons of yoga and, and, um, knows quite a bit about Ayurveda and, and Pilates and is very much in tune with her body. And we have these conversations very regularly and go to yoga together and go to workshops together. And she was like, Jessica, you're so lucky because these are not conversations that were available to me when I was your age. And she said, even now in my friend group, these aren't conversations we're talking about. Like there's still this taboo around pelvic health uh, for women. Can you mm -hmm. speak to that? Maybe what you've acknowledged or what you've seen from some of your patients, or, I mean, obviously without specifics, but just mm -hmm. in general, are there some trends that you see? I love that question. Jessica, uh, and I think uh, we are in a space now where we talk about breath, the body, and how we can develop ourselves. Within the yoga community, it's a lot of self-reflection and connection to the body. But for the, like for the average woman in the street, you might not be used to connecting to your body like that. And even having the vocabulary for explaining parts of your body might be non-existent. So, so one thing is that we are not used to talk about our body like that, but also the taboos, like you said, the shame about not functioning like you were supposed to, um, maybe lack of information about what are common uh, injuries or common complaints postpartum uh, and that not making it normal like mm -hmm. letting women know that they can get help and um, I have seen women that are past their 60s and 70s that has never gotten the information about pelvic health and uh, having an assessment that could you know, pinpoint exactly what is it that you need to do and within short amounts of time are able to do things they never thought possible with activity and, you know, it's common with urinary leakage, which is increasing after menopause um, and also pelvic organ prolapse and painful sex. These are like the three biggest areas we work with within pelvic health. Um, and then... You know, I'd love to pass the ball back to you. And with the yogic perspective, just think about like what you put into this area in form of naming it the root chakra. 
Mm. What does it mean for you? Um, well, of course, I think I actually go to the second chakra um, immediately, but the the we can't go to the second chakra, the sacral chakra, until we go to the root chakra. We have to start um, at the base. And I think the first thing that comes to mind for me in one word is safety. Mm-hmm. And the root chakra, of course, is all about um, our survival, about our shelter, our food, our physical safety, our physical well-being. And as women in particular, more so than men, although maybe not, I'm not, I, I won't say that statement. Um, I think that in order for us as women to feel safe, so, so tapping into the root chakra, we have to also be tapped into the second chakra, which is more of the emotions and the intimacy, our creativity, the fluidity of, of our energy, the fluidity of our, our, our actual, um, body fluids. And of course, this is, this is also what governs our reproductive organs. So for me, I think the root chakra and and the sacral chakra go hand in hand. And if we're trying to think about in the context of the modern woman and perhaps the average modern woman being less connected to a, a true understanding of the function of her body, I think we also have to talk about there might also be a lack of connection or true understanding of, of their emotional health. Mm-hmm. And so if we as women or, or men have a difficult time talking about our emotions, talking about our needs, um, both on an emotional level and a physical level, if we're talking about romantic intimacy, um, then I think, and Ayurveda would, would agree with us, we're actually going to see, um, see that lack of connection to our emotions show up on the physical plane. I think that's so interesting. And bringing it back to Western anatomy then, I think it's, yes. uh, I think it's interesting to see how the pelvic floor is postpartum. Mm. Uh, like stretched and weak and swollen just in the time where you're going to create a new life you like your safety and Mm. everything that is connected to the root chakra your home with everything that is going to be safe and stable and we are stretched so far Mm. as we become mothers and as we carry our baby through the pregnancy and and uh, like you said, the sacral chakra as well. Um, actually, if you put the chakra system on top of the Western anatomy model, you will see there are major nerve bundles in the areas where you have the chakras. Uh, so you can easily connect these two functions of the body, which I think is very interesting. And um, I'm sure the vagus nerve has been come up in this podcast before. It uh, has, but not, not yeah. in a major way, but it's been mentioned, but not really discussed. So please talk about it. Yeah, yeah well, the vagus nerve is trending, isn't it? Everyone yeah. is talking about the vagus nerve and it's a part of the parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, the part of the nervous system that calms us down, takes mm-hmm. care of all the processes that are going to go and especially together with the pudendal nerve, which is also a part of the same part of the nervous system, which is the pelvic nerve. So these two are working together. And often we forget about this. And we also see this hypertonicity of the pelvic floor connected to stress or trauma, or, you know, just holding yourself in a state of high, high tension, which is, affects the pelvic floor as well. So, yeah, well, this is so interesting. It's like a whole, like, small world in there. 
Yeah. Well, and yeah. you you start like on one end and you, you start the conversation and then all of a sudden there's like a million little threads coming into play where you're like, oh my gosh, okay, well, there's, there's the anatomical perspective. There's the nervous system that's coming into play here. Then there's the the subtle body anatomy, if we're talking about yogic um, philosophy mm. perspectives, and it never ends, which I think is so amazing. And it's just more information, more information, more information that us as women in particular can hopefully start to educate ourselves about what a magnificent tool our physical body is. And when we're able to harness our understanding of this tool, then hopefully we're going to be more satisfied in our daily life and across the board. You know, we can talk about every, every aspect of our life is influenced by how our physical body feels and our physical body is influenced by how our emotional body feels, the state of our mental body. And so when we start to really honor that interconnectedness, I think we can be like, Oh, okay, cool. Like I'm a complex being like, it's not a one size fits all cure. When we have something go wrong in the body, we have to investigate we have to dive deeper. And, you know, I think that's why I'm so, um, you know, impressed by you and the service that you're, you're really able to provide in our local community, because so many of us, even those of us who are in the wellness space might not have a great understanding of how everything's connected through the pelvis. I certainly Mm. don't know very much about it. And that's why I was like, always so amazed. And I was like, Oh, wow, that makes sense. And yeah, you know, it also your question about the root chakra that brought me to the sacral chakra um, made me think of something as well in terms of, of postpartum for women. You know, the big question, and of course, this is talked about a lot in, in the Norwegian society when you have your, your six-week postpartum checkup. Um, typically, the big question is, uh, do you need birth control? Mm-hmm. And that's the focus. Like, okay, are you getting back to your sexual activity and your sex life? And I didn't even, I didn't even go to my doctor because I was like, I, that's not helpful for me. Like I'm not in that place. Um, in terms of that's not, that was my main concern (laughs) six weeks after birth, but I think it's important to touch on this because our society puts so much pressure on us as women of like, when are you having sex? Are you, are you back to your normal self? You're back to your activity. And I think there's, there's also a layer of guilt perhaps for some women postpartum where they're like, well, why don't I feel like having sex? Why am I not motivated to be more sexually active? And my thought about this and, and hearing conversations and talking to other women in my experiences tied back to the emotional body. We've gone through a huge journey through pregnancy, delivery, and postpartum. And for women, if our emotional health if we don't feel emotionally safe, then it's hard for the root chakra and the physical body to feel safe as well, to be engaging in activity that's very, very um, uh, you know, personal and intimate. And so I love this idea of, of talking about safety, both physically and energetically for mm-hmm. women's health, because I think, again, it goes hand in hand. Yeah, definitely. And uh We have been touching upon the nervous system, which is, of course, playing out in practice. Like, this is what happened to us. It's actually electrical signals operating in our body, creating, um, like, we act on it and we react on what's happening in the nervous system. But also the hormonal system Mm. is changing so much. And 
going from keeping the body inside and nurturing the body inside to actually um, be able to breastfeed if that is what you're doing or, uh, you know, like going into this mode of postpartum where it's, it's really like the state you're in with menopause, your estrogen levels have dropped so much and your body is changing so fast. It's not strange that you don't feel like having sex. Uh, yeah, there are so many things happening in your body. Um, still, I think it's important to know that you have an ovulation before you get your period. So, mm. of course, you won't be safe. Uh, like you could get pregnant quite quickly postpartum. Uh, so the conversation about having contraceptives, I think it's, it's important that you have the options. Um, but still, it's so many other things as well that are important to the postpartum woman. Yeah, I guess for, for me, my point was more that I don't, in my opinion, that's not the number one question that should be asked six weeks after having a baby. <laughs> I think, but, I think a lot of women feel it the way you do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I would love to ask you though, about your, your interest in integrating breath into your uh, clinical practice. And is that very common? Do you see other colleagues having the same interest or understanding the connection between the breath and the work that you do? Oh, I think most definitely. So we're moving up to the third chakra then, are we? <laughs> <laughs> the driver uh, of a lot of the movement in the pelvic floor and in the core section is the diaphragm, the breathing muscle, like one of the breathing muscles, but the main breathing muscle. Mm -hmm. And uh, connecting the diaphragm to every part of the body probably is a very common uh, thought in osteopathy I would say very much and in physiotherapy as well um, there is used a lot of breathing exercises especially for calming down de-stressing and uh, yeah I would say a lot of practitioners are into the breath okay okay yeah. So I guess maybe I thought that was not the case just because I know you've done your yoga teacher training and you're teaching Kundalini yoga. Um, do you, has your background in yoga changed how you approach your clinical work then? I would say yes, most definitely, because there are more tools again, you know, like the breath is a tool and you can use it in different ways. I'm sure everyone that has been to a yoga class can connect with what I'm telling you now. Mm. Mm. So um, being into one area of yoga, like I have done Kundalini training, I know that the wording and the way we talk about breath might be different to other directions. Uh, and then you have breath work as well, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, and you have done the David Elliott training right Jessica I have mm -hmm. yeah and uh, I have been flirting with that as well and uh, I tend to use it sometimes in one-on-one uh, -on -one treatment not like the full type of breath work uh, workout as you do in groups but elements of it to touch upon how to rise up the autonomic nervous system and how to bring it down because I'm very interested in the contrasts Hmm. which is so using that contrast within a, a single session with a, a patient could be you know we're all different but then um, 
if we are in a state of stress, say that you go around all day and are stressed, you might not notice, you know, this has become your new normal. Um, so getting you to breathe deeply to relax could be very difficult. Sometimes a type of breath work breath or a breath of fire, which is kind of triggering, uh, it can give you the knowledge of what your nervous system actually is doing and bring you out of the numbness of not uh, relating to your breath and seeing the contrast between a high tone breath and the deep, slow, parasympathetic, vagus loving breath. Mm. It could be very um, educational for the patient just to see where you are because it's like with the pelvic floor sometimes it's difficult to know where you are <laughs> to connect it's very difficult yeah well I just I I do teach breath work occasionally I mean I, I also teach um, yogic pranayama but the reason I asked you about that is because I actually haven't really considered using um, alternate extreme breath patterns as a, an intentional tool. But as you said that my entire brain just lit up because I just got back from, um, I was teaching a restore and yoga nidra teacher training in Trondheim this weekend. And, um, that's actually a very intentional technique as part mm -hmm. of, of the yoga nidra meditation in terms of it's often called, um, feelings and sensations, manifestation of sensations. Like there's several different words for this particular section. Um, and the goal of that section in yoga nidra meditation is often using opposite sensations to um, manipulate the brain function in order to reduce stress and calm the nervous system. And we're, we're working with the, the right side of the brain and the left side of the brain with this, this quick contrast. And mm -hmm. it's also working within the Manamaya Kosha. So one of the five energetic sheaths of the body and subtle body anatomy. And so it makes complete sense to me that using a, a more perhaps um, elevating breath and then contrasting it with a more relaxing breath could be a very powerful tool to helping somebody, um, first of all, as you mentioned, kind of just feel their breath <laughs> for the mm -hmm. first time, maybe. Uh, but also the outcome could be incredibly specific in terms of reducing stress and, and calming the parasympathetic nervous system. And then in turn, perhaps impacting how the pelvic floor health is. So. Yeah, I think for a lot of studies that has been done within, for example, physiotherapy uh, that goes on chronic pelvic pain or like vulvodynia or hypertonicity of the pelvic floor, you could see that you spend a lot of time doing this de-stressing breath. Uh, and uh, of course, this is great. Uh, but then to understand what you're doing, sometimes I feel like the patient cracked the code quicker if they experience the outer uh, aspects of breath and are able to shift from they being conscious about their breath being high tone or low tone mm -hmm. uh, so these are yeah it's tools and it's also like a playful game you know to get to know your body mm -hmm. uh, I think it's great about this is it's no adverse effects of doing the breath so I feel it's safe 
you know it's it's a safety it's a empowering to get to connect your own body mm. Mm. and that's also something that's that your um, clients can take away like they can mm. also be doing those practices at home mm-hmm. which I think is amazing because I'm right now so fascinated about the breath. And I think this is the area that if even more so than asana, more so even than meditation at this point, um, I think more people need to be in connection with their breath. And um, I'm speaking specifically like in this past year with COVID and so much is happening and the breath is the avenue in which we can also release Um, not just physical stress, but emotional stress and mental stress. And then it comes back full circle. If you don't release the mental stress, the emotional stress, it, it accumulates and then finally presents itself as a physical ailment. Um, So I'm just, I am all about the breath. I'm like, let's breathe more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's about the mechanical uh, movement of the core muscles as well, because uh, you would see that a woman postpartum, if we move back into the female yeah. anatomy, um, often has been, you know, it's a, it's a lot to carry in your tummy when you're pregnant. A lot of women will experience that the space for breathing is constricted. And if you're not aware of your breath postpartum, a lot of women will continue to breathe high up in their chest, mm. you know? So this is why also I think a lot of women are experiencing struggles with the upper neck and the shoulder blades. And um, of course, it's a lot of strenuous to breastfeed and feed and carry around the baby, but and maybe it's more, maybe it's more than we need to if we have connected the breath, you know, to ease off some of the strain. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you find that um, most of the postpartum women that you treat, are they uh, receptive to learning breath techniques and, and focusing on the breath? Or are some of them kind of like, I don't know about this. Can you just look at my pelvis? <laughs> um, well, you know, breath can be introduced in different ways. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure when you went into breath work, you had the uh, analogy of uh, breathing techniques being used by military services in the U.S., right? To oh, focus. yeah. I mean, I've heard yeah. so many things that the breath has been used for. Yeah. yeah. And then you can connect it to, you know, like Silicon Valley and people in the U.S. that are entrepreneurs and high achieving in finance. A lot of people are using breath with different approaches, you know. Mm-hmm. So so you can introduce breath in different ways for different people. And I, I think uh, I think that's important as well, because you will not find every woman um, susceptible to to breathing to their root chakra. Uh, this is this is a way of putting it, but you can always also rephrase and use other terminology to, yeah, be on the same level. I think mm. it's important. Yeah, that's actually a really important distinction. So I'm glad you said that. Is that you know me and my role as a teacher, you and your role as a teacher, your role as a, as an osteopath, we have to know who our audience is. Mm-hmm. And when we're trying to, you and I are fired up about the breath, about yoga, about meditation, and we want to share it with other people because we think it works. It's worked for us. And yet we have to also have an understanding that we have to meet our student where they are or your mm-hmm. client where they are in mm-hmm. order to gently 
introduce the material. We can't come in with a big banner, like do the breath work to your root chakra. Cause some people would be like, Oh my God, you're crazy. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And I think it's important. My husband is a doctor and we have these discussions and he, he would just shrug his shoulders and like, Oh, you're onto the vagus nerve again. And why don't you go and take a breath? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> because we have different areas of interest and different areas of focus. Uh, so in the communication with women, other health professionals, uh, everyone that matters in the life of the woman that we come in to help as a client is important to have respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure, especially in the the type of work that you have where you do see a lot of women and it is a little bit more focused on pelvic floor health and or pelvic pelvic health. Um, you know, that's, I can imagine that there's probably a lot of anxiety or uncertainty from some of your patients who are like, okay, this is so personal. This is so intimate. It's hard for me to talk about. Mm-hmm. And so having that very compassionate, non-threatening approach Um, which of course you're (laughs) non-threatening, but just in terms of, you know, I know that many people struggle to speak with their doctors about what's really happening and um, with other medical professionals about what's really happening. And when it's such an important area, because um, the pelvic health affects us in so many ways, as you've, you've talked about, and if something is a little bit off, you know, it can show up in so many other places in the body as well. Can you maybe talk about like what some areas that something that might be common that we might see in the physical body that might be related to the pelvic floor? I'd love to, Jessica. Uh, I just got this thought from my yoga training that I thought fitted really well with your uh, uh, the way you see pelvic health um, because you're so right. There are so different stories about pelvic health. And uh, there could be young girls coming in having painful sex before they have kids. Um, It could be from the first time they tried, or it could be something that has come on like later after they had their debut. And um, there could be incontinence also with women that has not had babies. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's important to have the space to contain all the things that you said, because to honor actually a woman stepping up and taking care of herself, like making that appointment saying like, now it's it. I'm going to go in and now I'm going to see what I can do to improve my health or my pelvic health. If that's the case, it takes an enormous amount of you know like work to get there Mm -hmm. and have the respect sometimes you know I sit in the waiting room and just pretend I'm the new patient just to tap into the feeling of how it feels to wait for your pelvic health physio or whatever you call it and you're stepping into that room and just laying out all your biggest fears you Mm -hmm. know it's it's a very big step for many women and having the space to contain that is a major part of the first consultation Mm. and I think this is so important because a lot of women are not heard when they open up about their pelvic health or other types of health issues and um, 
I have a tremendous amount of respect for all the women that show up for themselves. And they deserve respect. Absolutely. I think it's amazing. And again, it's just part of the, the broader conversation. Like, how do we remove some of the stigma about talking about even pelvic health? Like, I think not even talking about genitalia or talking about the vagina or the mm-hmm. womb, but just pelvic health, that word in general, mm-hmm. I think that can just the concept of it makes people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and having these conversations about like, okay, well, can we make this more acceptable and removing the stigma and removing some of that shame and that, that guilt or about maybe prioritizing pelvic mm-hmm. health um, is something that I'm super interested in because if we as women are unable to be heard about something so personal that can affect so many areas of our life, then I think we're, we're unfortunately going to be living not as full of a life as we could be because there's always going to be something at the back of the mind of like, I'm not worthy enough to be heard. I'm not worthy enough to prioritize getting treatment, or I don't know who to turn to, who would I even ask? Or I tried to talk to my foster lega and they just said, Oh, sorry, nothing we can do. Or, you know, there's so many reasons why a woman might be um, feeling upset about not being able to, to be heard in this way. Yeah. And um, I think, I think we're getting better now. There is some, you know, movement in this area uh, over the last years that I really hope like we will see this expanding and normalize uh, all over the spectrum of the primary health care that a woman can be met with respect and get the help that she deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, you know, um, endometriosis, um, different types of uh challenges to the female reproductive system uh, and muscle skeletal pain postpartum um it's um it's not prioritized mm. in the research or in the healthcare but it will get better but conversations like this you know there's someone sitting there home now listening thinking oh i didn't know this i can contact someone mm-hmm. and then you know, the ball starts rolling every time we have this conversation. So I think it's so important. Yeah, I agree. And that's why that's the starting point in my mind is just having the conversations, putting them out there, talking with our friends about it. And um, I had no idea that going to a physio for pelvic health was even a thing until I had um, somebody that I knew who had gone and seen you. And I was like, that's amazing. You know, and I, I'm, I've been in the wellness space for a long time and I have a lot of contacts and I know a lot of people in a network, but I didn't even know it had never crossed my radar before. And then it did. And I think I made an appointment with you that day (laughs) because I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. And, you know, being, being more open in these conversations. And I think you're right that there, it is starting to shift. And, you know, me as a first time mom this year, the conversations around pregnancy, around postpartum. Um, around conscious conception. I'm going to have uh, two women on my podcast later this season. And mm-hmm. all they're doing is working with conscious conception, which they're phenomenal. Um, so these conversations in general are getting to be more, I won't say mainstream. I don't think they're mainstream yet, but they're getting to be more uh, prevalent. More people are talking about it and, and sharing about it. And this is an example of where I think social media is doing some good. 
Yeah, and I love this aspect of conscious conception. Uh, I think, uh, you know, like when you think about getting pregnant, like your whole body and how you feel and how you prepare yourself is going to affect the pregnancy and the postpartum mm. because you're you're carrying this baby within your womb and everything that affects you affects the baby as well. Mm. So this is the privilege about working in women's health and treating pregnant patients. I was treating you and your baby at the same time. I mean, yeah. that's beautiful. It's so amazing. Cool. Yeah. Two people. Yeah. So um, I just um, bringing it back to something like more born real. I thought about your yogic community and bringing like one of the main concerns of the yogi postpartum is this feeling of uh, being like full of air in the vagina mm. and the feeling that you make a sound when you do different positions in the yoga oh, class. Yes. Yeah. yeah, a lot of women are complaining that they won't dare to go into yoga postpartum because of this. And this is so normal. Mm. Uh, this is a part of a sign of pelvic floor dysfunction and the sign that you should be exercising your pelvic floor. Um, but it's so common. And uh, this is something that I would say, like if the yoga teacher just normalized this from the first day, like you set the group, I think it's going to be a relief for so many of your participants. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's, again, just coming back to that, that compassionate understanding of who your students are when they come in. And like you sit in the waiting room of your clinic, trying to understand the experience your patients have, mm -hmm. how can we as space holders be even more conscious of some of the insecurities that our students might have, or our patients might have and setting that tone of inclusivity where it's like, Hey, you're welcome here. Mm -hmm. Hey, there's no judgment. Hey, come as you are. And I think for me, that's, that's yoga. That, that is yoga. Yeah. And then you're setting the tone for recovery of the pelvic floor as well, because mm -hmm. you make it safe, right? Yeah. You relax. You can start from a point of relaxation and make the maximum contraction of the pelvic floor from safety. And yeah. I think this is so important as well. So I have a question about um, postpartum recovery. I, I did, I feel like really quite, quite well, given all circumstances and my C-section and everything. But mm -hmm. when I was postpartum, I started um, gentle exercise, probably around four weeks. And, and that was fine for me, my body, I was very in tune with what was happening to my body. But what I focused on a lot was deep um, pelvic floor, deep rectus abdominis, core work, just a lot of very, very minimal movement, but working on strong engagement. I was doing a lot of Pilates. Mm -hmm. um, again, taking it super easy, but I was doing it every single day. And, and then I fell off a little bit just because life happened and I was moving and all this stuff. But I will say, I am so grateful that I made time for myself to do that. Um, because I noticed a huge difference. I felt and feel continue to feel. So I, I feel very, um, connected. I feel very strong. I feel I still have, you know, baby weight, whatever, who cares? It's not about that. You know, I always told you I was, I was most concerned about the function of my body, not mm -hmm. what it looked like from the outside. But then I had a Pilates teacher tell me, she was like, oh, make sure you're not overdoing it. Mm -hmm. And then she didn't follow up. And I was just wondering, because, you know, we're told to really focus on the pelvic floor. Um, 
and the deep core muscles after the postpartum period, is there a point where that would become actually maybe counterproductive or might be harmful? Uh, I would say yes, um, because I think a lot of anything could be harmful, <laughs> probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like you said, like you were connecting to your pelvic floor and your deep core. I think this is uh, where a lot of people just jump a step, hmm. like move on to doing activities before they connect. And if you do connect and are there with your pelvic floor um, in your exercises, but also in your daily life, paying attention to what is happening. If I lift this bag, which is five kilos, how does that feel? Mm. Can I lift a bag that's 10 kilos? Oh, that feels different. That didn't feel good. Maybe it's different feelings when you've been walking uh, and you come back, or it could be from your digestion. Maybe you're slow in uh, going to the toilet and that can push down on the pelvic floor, making you appear weaker in periods of time. Mm. Uh, so there are so many factors that can affect the pelvic floor in these weeks postpartum. Um but if you do connect and if you stay with your pelvic floor and you are in contact, then most of the movement will be okay. Um, that be said, if you do only do the high energy intensity workout and do not pay attention to the relaxation, you could also end up with having very tight and painful pelvic floor. And maybe especially after a C-section, um that not to say you shouldn't exercise pelvic floor but you know after a c-section if you haven't been having this uh vaginal birth you would not have the stretch of the pelvic floor mm. but you had the load of the pregnancy uh so for the post cesarean women it's even more important to incorporate the relaxation part of the pelvic floor exercise mm. maybe some massage as well as well as your scar tissue of course mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, I, again, you know, I was a first time mom and, and everything is so new and it's so scary. And you're like, Oh my gosh, what's happening? Am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? So many questions. Mm. And I think also my experience was, and from a lot of other women I've spoken to that there's just not a lot of information about C-section delivery, um, given to us in the hospital, given to us in, in general mm. population society. Do you have any specific words of advice for um, women who had a C-section birth or maybe even just talking about the scar massage, which is also not very commonly talked about? Yeah. Oh, this is easier, easier to do when you're visual, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, a C-section is a surgery, you know, like your body needs to heal in a different way than after having the delivery, uh, like a vaginal birth. Um, not to say you don't need the rest when you have delivered the vaginal way as well. So rest is crucial for both. Uh, and then post-surgery, there is some medical procedures about looking after the scar, making sure that it's healed well in a medical way, like no infections, all the stitches are okay. This should be checked before you go from the hospital, but also made aware that you can go back to the doctor if you feel like you have anything happening with your scar tissue. Mm. 
So um, once it started healing, you know, it's this uh, very big question. What can I do and what can I not do? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So is it so that I can't do anything when it's gone six to eight weeks? And then at a sudden, when it's eight weeks, I can start to do anything. Uh, and of course, the answer is uh, it's different from woman to woman. Uh, and also, like, you can always do something. Uh, and starting the scar tissue massage to heal the movement of the muscle and the layers of the fascia and the abdominal wall is somewhere I would specifically start after eight weeks. Mm. Yeah, that's something, I mean, I don't think a lot of women hear the message about that. And I found, I found that to be really sad to me because, um, you know, my experience going through um, the last, you know, two years of my uh, conscious conception journey, my pregnancy, and now my son's almost eight months old. Um, I feel like I've been in a very privileged position. I have access. I, I, even though I didn't know about you and your services, I still feel like I've been able to really tap into a lot of uh, good information about how to really take control of my health, both on a physical level, but also on a spiritual level. And it was really hard to find information about how to do a C-section scar massage. And everybody, I, I did hear it once in the hospital, oh, you can massage your scar. And then I asked them like, okay, well, what does that mean? Just massage it. Okay, well, that's a very different message than the actual way in which you showed me in which I've seen some wonderful YouTube videos. And mm. um, I think from my perspective, it's really an important message. It's like, okay, mm. let's talk about the massage because yeah. I don't think women are hearing that message. Mm. Yeah, uh, it is important. And uh, I do agree with you. Uh, Post-cesarean is uh, like more in the shadow lands postpartum than uh, mm. if you have had what you call a normal birth, which is yeah. also a birth, you know, they're both births. And there are different types of cesareans as well, you know, they could be planned, it could be happening like in the middle of a birth where something happens and you really quick turn over into a cesarean section. And these are these are important stories to be able to vent as well, to meet understanding about mm -hmm. how your birth was. Uh, because uh, talking about your birth and sharing your story is uh, also a very important part of healing. Yeah. Yeah. I want to shift gears as we kind of finish up our conversation here. I just want to kind of check in with you and see what um, your plans are moving forward. You have your podcast, you're teaching Kundalini yoga, and of course your osteopath clinic. Are you thinking or dreaming up more ways to incorporate your yoga into more clinical offerings or are there are you thinking of other ways to work with women's health within the context of yoga or meditation or breath work I certainly hope so you know this journey just keeps taking its own turns and uh, I love to meet up with people and connect and learn from different people uh, and this will continue uh, of course we're in the middle of somewhat special times now uh, so uh, in theory I'm teaching a kundalini yoga class but you know we've been waiting since November and just now I'm eager to um, you know get back mm. Mm -hmm. 
So this, uh, this is the first step. Uh, um, it's actually, you know, it's been some special times for us uh, working cl- uh, clinically in the pandemic uh, times. Um, we can sense that our patients has uh, patients are meeting a lot of, you know, like uncertainty about how their births and postpartums mm-hmm. are going to be. I mean, you experienced this as well, Jessica, being away from your family, um, waiting for your herbs to arrive. Oh, that, <laughs> uh, was, yeah. that, was, the, that was the least of my worries. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I'm happy to see that there's, there is getting to be some media attention around um, the state of women who have given birth or are about to give birth during the pandemic, because yeah. it is very unusual times. And unfortunately, um, you know, what we've seen, we've, we've heard story after story after story of, um, you know, the system's broken because of the pandemic and women who are at their most vulnerable are being left to hang. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, of course there are a lot of hopeful birth stories and and good birth stories. And we always want to acknowledge that, but I do think it is important to acknowledge that more than ever, perhaps um, women are struggling during their pregnancy and postpartum because uh, resources aren't available. I mean, I never had a single visit. I think maybe I did have one, but I had to go two towns over to see the the Yordmore. Mm. Um, And that was nothing. And, you know, so general, there's no partial group. There's no there's no services whatsoever for women. And, um, you know, I know I don't want to upset anybody listening who's pregnant now, but I think it's good to be like, okay, how can you create a support system while you're still pregnant? Yeah, you're so right. And I think this is, um, I don't think we should hold back information uh, because I think it's important that the women get to know what the situation is and what to expect and also giving them room to prepare prepare and to bring in you know uh, their coping mechanisms and conversations with their partner if they're so lucky to have one uh, and making plans about how to handle the postpartum in like a bit of a different world than what we're used to and uh, also ask for help I urge you it's so normal now to get help uh, with postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety and uh, the people at work is there to help. So, but we are seeing increasing rates of this now in this period of time. Um, so I think within women's health now, it's uh, about empowering and supporting each other and letting the guard down and be able to, you know, allow to get help, you know? Yeah. Yeah. However, I will add on that it's, it's very difficult to get help though at this time. Um, people, the, the healthcare system's overburdened. And I don't know, um, you know, I talked to my foster lega and, and he just was like, well, I'm not really sure what to tell you. <laughs> no. I was like, oh, okay. And, and luckily again, you know, you, there are other ways to find help, I think, beyond the traditional healthcare system in Norway. And, mm. um, a lot of holistic practitioners are able to offer really amazing support and even more um, emotionally, uh, vibrant support in terms of bringing in all these other tools than just maybe traditional talking to your fostalega or whatever. And, um, you know, one thing I'd like to share too, along this vein is, you know, as I've, I've been fairly public about some of my struggles postpartum and, and in the hospital and just, you know, it was a bad set of circumstances for a lot of reasons. And, 
very difficult to navigate emotionally. However, I also would like to share, and I'm, I'm going back and forth with this, where I'm like, how do we present a balanced picture? Because, you know, being pregnant, even though I was sick a lot of it, it was wonderful. And I had a beautiful deliver or um, a beautiful uh, labor, beautiful labor, 21 hours until my C-section. And I think for women who are, are pregnant now, especially for the first time, and they're like, oh my God, I have to give birth during a pandemic. This is terrible. What's going to happen? There's so many unknowns and so much uncertainty. I think it is also important to acknowledge that you can still have a really amazing experience in other areas. And so it's not just like a bad news bears <laughs> situation. It's being prepared, being educated, and then also letting go of some of that stress. Like, okay, I'm not in control of certain things and there's no way I can be. So mm -hmm. what can I be in control of? Well, your breath, your emotions, your relationship with your partner, if you have one, like, you know, there's, there's the, the positive and then the less desirable. Mm -hmm. um, but I think being honest about what's happening right now in the medical community in terms of, of pregnancy and delivery is important but also not getting stuck in just this negative narrative of like, oh my God, it's terrible. <laughs> Never have a baby. Like that's not the truth. No, uh, most definitely. And I think being prepared uh, and being open uh, and taking measures to bring on that oxytocin together with your partner when he can or she can come into the delivery room with you when you're at that point. Uh, a lot of people are having really good experiences uh, and um, just being in this space, you know, you get a lot of good stories and a lot of more challenging stories. And I think we should be open for all of them um, because they're all important. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And also the more women who are sharing about what's broken in the system, I think we can be the sort of grassroots activation chain of like, hey, this isn't right. These, these women deserve better. And we as a society deserve better if new moms are so underserved in terms of their needs being met, um, then that is going to affect our society. And so if some of us at this grassroots level can have these conversations, be like, hey, <laughs> let's pay attention to this. Maybe, maybe we can start to see some change. And I think we did just see some change where now partners are allowed um, in the delivery room. Yeah, well, they are allowed in when you get to your delivery room uh, yeah. and uh, also they're going to prioritize the midwives for corona tests, uh, vaccines so that they're more stable like with the work uh, workforce which is really important because they're vulnerable and they need to be there you know otherwise the ones that are there that are not sick are overworked so um, what's interesting here I think uh, you was asking me about my plans forward and uh, I'm sitting in a clinic which is a private healthcare mm -hmm. uh, you know like it's uh, it's not supported by the government and these are um, a challenge I think for women's health is the lack of actual physios that are available for the woman postpartum mm -hmm. and I'm highly aware of where I sit that people can criticize me for bringing forward idealized packages and thoughts about women's health, uh, but they are only accessible to the ones that pay mm. to get them. And, and I think this is something that we see as a major discrepancy 
between the knowledge we have on what women's can, women can benefit from and also to be expected to return to work after they finished their bachelor permission mm. and uh, be a part of the community, like being a part of their career, uh, being active and still thriving as women. So um, for me, this is like a sustainability thing. It's like a part of the human rights, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for women to get this care um, so that they can come back and be a part of the society on all levels. I love that you brought this up. And I think actually, I mean, we could do a whole podcast episode on this very topic because this is something I've thought a lot about also um, just in terms of of where my privilege has sat. And um, you're right, where, where, the, where you're working, the services are only available to those who can pay for it. And, you know, I've considered a lot that for me, giving birth in a foreign country, um, you know, and I, I wasn't allowed to be with my husband or my baby for the first four days postpartum, it was terrible. And had I been in my home country, I would have been, I would have pushed back. I would have, um, said, Hey, this isn't right. I would have felt more comfortable and confident with that. So as an immigrant in a country where I don't necessarily understand how everything operates and works. And, and of course, during a pandemic, things are unknown anyways, but, um, I now know I could have pushed back and I could have gone to the, uh, to the Barshall hotel. And I could have been with my husband at least, even if I couldn't be with my baby. Um, so that was disappointing to learn that I could have done that. However, I, I look at the whole sum of my experience and I say, gosh, my privilege still allowed me to have something extra. And I think of a lot of other immigrant women, perhaps, who gave birth this past year and are in even a worse situation where they have, they're so scared to talk back. They're so scared to ask questions. Maybe they had to have an interpreter because they really didn't understand anything. And so I think, um, just even raising the question of privilege within the wellness industry, within Norway, within women's health, I think is an amazing starting point. Like, Hey, Mm. Hey, we have a privilege problem here. How Mm. do we, how do we start to address this? How do we start to um, create access to everyone? And I don't have a good answer for that. It's more just the theoretical or the, the, the like, okay, how do we start this conversation? And we start by acknowledging it. Yeah, and uh, I think um, at the end, this is about prioritizing from the top, you know, Mm -hmm. like where does the money go? And uh, probably money that are dedicated to women's health should be earmarked for that purpose. Otherwise, they seem to disappear in the system. Hmm. Uh, And then we also have this great, great association, which is called Norske Kvinners Sanitetsforening. There are a group of women that has been supporting women's health and are actually the largest contributor to research within women's health in Norway. And they do this on an idealistic basis and you can become a member and if you are a health professional you can also gain access to amazing talks by the experts that are doing the research and if you're a woman sitting home struggling a bit right now they have a free web-based program called Mamma Mia which you can access and get web support for helping your uh, uh, psychological aspects in pregnancy and postpartum. So this is really, really a good 
place to start. That's exciting. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's thank you for sharing that. And actually I'll put the, um, the link in the show notes. So if somebody wants yeah. to check that out, they can, because, um, again, sharing information, that's knowledge as well. Yeah, well, it's Women's Day today as we are recording and they actually released uh, this new series of expert talks to support the woman in pregnancy and postpartum as well about breastfeeding, about um, uh, prescribed drugs that you can use during pregnancy and other topics that are interesting to women. So really check that out. Oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, we're out of time. Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I want to thank you so much, Mona. Thank you for being on and sharing all of your, your knowledge and your thoughts and um, very interesting topic. Very interesting. And I know a lot of women um, are interested to hear what, what's going on in this area and, and getting more information about what's going on in this area. So Oh, thank you. you. And, you know, your listeners are highly, highly educated within this area. So please come back to me with pointers of other things to check out because I love learning and uh, let's continue the conversation. Yes, yes. And I'll also link to your website, Mona, in the show notes so people can come check out what you're up to and stay in touch with you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Happy great day.